The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the show. Ewan, I'm starting a new new tradition. I'm going to call it Thursday Trivia. Do you know what Dublin and Blackpool have in common? Uh, Tell me. Uh, So... In the Irish language, the name for Dublin actually comes from the name for Blackpool, the Dovlin, which is oh. to do with uh, from the Viking origins of Dublin as a city. It was actually uh, a cesspool that was under what became oh. the, the, the Central Bank building for quite a long time in the centre of Dublin. Uh, but that Dovlin, the Blackpool, is where uh, the name for Dublin comes from. But the reason that we're talking about it is because there's a meeting happening today of the British Irish Council, um, which is one of the bodies created by the Good Friday Agreement. It's very important in the in how Northern Ireland is run. It's a meeting that takes place regularly, has been established since, as I say, since the Good Friday Agreement. It's nearly 25 years ago now. Um, and it's a council that makes up not only um, representatives from Northern Ireland, usually, but also the British government, the Irish government, the governments of Scotland, Wales, Guernsey, the Isle of Man and Jersey. It tours around different places, but this time it's landed in Blackpool. Um, so that's going to be an important meeting we're watching today. Yeah, I was looking through the list of places, actually. It seems to go to Guernsey quite a lot, perhaps, because <laughs> it's a rather nice place to hold a meeting. Blackpool is is a new entrant to this uh, particular chart, isn't it? Uh, I'm not, not one I'm familiar with, I have to say. Have you not been to Blackpool? No. Never? I haven't been to Dublin's namesake. Ah. Well, yes, well, indeed. Well, Are they similar? Have you been to both? Well... Well, funny about I think there are similarities. Well, actually, the, the weather, the, the weather is bad yeah. in both of them. Both they're both very grey. Uh, I feel like there's quite a lot of drinking. I don't know. I don't want to upset people in Dublin, but there's a lot of drinking goes on in both these places. I Black, I mean, Blackpool that. is entirely founded on drinking, <laughs> uh, drinking in bad weather, and they're actually both quite expensive. Surprisingly, uh, uh, Dublin perhaps less surprisingly, but Blackpool actually, although it's it's quite a sort of shabby place. Sorry, Blackpool, but it's also 
I find it's quite it's quite pricey. But, 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 Universally managed to offend a load of people <laughs> by making quite an innocuous comparison between two very lovely places, which lovely. we have very positive opinions about. And, but and look, the, the people are very nice in both places. True. Okay. Look, the reason we're talking about it is because this British Irish Council meeting that's happening. As I say, it's actually something. It's a body that meets regularly. But what's unusual about this meeting is that Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, is going to be there. He's going to be meeting the Irish Taoiseach Michal Martin. It is actually the first time that a UK Prime Minister has attended uh, a British Irish Council since two thousand and seven. Normally the British Irish Council is supposed to work on cooperation uh, between all of these administrations in areas like energy, environment, social inclusion and housing. This time around though the focus isn't trying going to be on trying to get the Northern Irish power sharing executive back up and running. Well, let's discuss this with a guest now. Northern Ireland's Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris announced a delay to elections to Stormont yesterday. It's allowed time for the UK and EU to negotiate over post-Brexit trading rules. The vote had been due to take place by January, but that will now be pushed back until at least March. Talks continuing in the meantime to try and restore the power-sharing executive. The Democratic Unionist Party has been refusing to take part in it since February because of uh, their issues over the Northern Ireland Protocol. Let's speak now to Sinn Féin's Conor Murphy, who was Finance Minister at Stormont until two weeks ago when all of the ministers in the executive uh, lost their jobs over the standoff uh, that's uh, continuing there. Um, Conor, thank you very much for joining us at the pro- on the programme. I'm wondering, looking ahead to this British-Irish Council meeting, is this something that you're hopeful about, that there could be progress made at? Well, I think it does give an opportunity for both the Taoiseach and the British Prime Minister. And as you say, it's the first time a British Prime Minister has attended in about 15 years. Uh, it does give them an opportunity to put some form of focus on restoration of the executive. That's what we want to see. Uh, in many ways, we, we're, we're an ongoing casualty of Brexit. Uh, Brexit has played out very, very badly. The North of Ireland voted to remain within the EU. We were taken out against our wishes uh, in order to ensure that there wasn't a hard border in the island of Ireland. The British government agreed to the protocol and, and passed that through the House of uh, the House of Commons. Uh, and the DUP have now taken a stand against that. Uh, and in order to support their own stand, they have, against the wishes of the majority of the electorate, uh, prevented the Assembly and the Executive from functioning uh, to such a stage now where at the, at the end of October the period of time to reform an Executive ran out. Uh, the British Government at that stage, uh, the Secretary of State, uh, was obliged to call an election. Uh, he said he would do that. He made it very clear in the run-up to that that he would do that. But then he decided, uh, for whatever reason, uh, that he would not he would not uh, uh, continue with that, that he would reset the legislation, ironically, that was brought in at the behest of the DUP, uh, and he's going to reset it again at their behest uh, to kick an election down the road. So we've been left in the worst of all limbos in that we had a non-functioning executive, even though myself and other ministers were in place as caretaker ministers. Uh, now we have none of that, and we're in the middle of the worst cost-of-living crisis in the generation. Uh, no ability to do anything in relation to it, and no clear sense of direction from the British government as to how it's going to find a roadmap to get us out of this situation. So I do hope that the Taoiseach uh, takes the opportunity today, as a co-guarantor of the Good Property Agreement, uh, to, to impress on the British Prime Minister that we need to see action. Uh, we wanted to see election once the time period ran out because that's the route back into reforming an executive. But if the British government have other ideas, we need to hear them. Thus far, we've heard nothing. Connor, how significant is it that Rishi Sunak is going to be there in person? The first time in 15 years that a British Prime Minister has um, attended. Is this signs, uh, a sign of improved relations with Ireland? Well, relations have been very, very difficult, as everyone knows, because of Brexit and because of the negotiations 
uh, with the EU and the position that is based uh, Dublin in, and then the issues around the protocol haven't been agreed by the British government, and then uh, the, their decision to act unilaterally to unpick some of the agreement that they made and and in doing so breaking international law and agreements with the EU. So all of that has created a huge tension uh, in the middle of the Good Friday Agreement where the two governments have a responsibility to co-guarantor the the agreement itself and to work closely together. Uh, So I I hope that this is the beginning of a kind of a thaw in that relationship. I I would like to see the British government take more action in terms of their discussions with the EU to approach them in a serious fashion. I would hope they would stop with the unilateral action in terms of the protocol bill that's gone through the House of Commons to provide an opportunity to negotiate out some of the issues. And there always were going to be, when you change trade arrangements, there are always going to be hiccups and hurdles uh, and there were provisions within the protocol to resolve those. So the government really needs to get around the table very quickly and get these issues resolved uh, with the EU. Uh, and that's what Dublin wants. That's what the vast majority of the people in the north of Ireland want to see happening. Uh, and we want to see the protocol working and to get back to running our own institutions and trying to deal with the very significant challenges that we have at this time. Well, are you encouraged then by the progress that we reported on on Bloomberg earlier this week that there has been progress made on the idea of data sharing, which is one of the key things that will allow some of the checks that currently need to happen on goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland to be reduced? Um, Are you optimistic, given that we now have this extended deadline and and some more breathing room for, for negotiation? Well, we seem to be in a better place, but these are technical talks. And really, you will know that whenever it comes to uh, finalising discussions, I guess, agreeing uh, a way forward, then it requires that political input from senior players, both in the EU and in the British government. So I would like to see it move very quickly from technical talks about possibilities. because These issues have been on the table, have been talked about uh, for some time. Uh, if there is now an impetus uh, to get them resolved, then that is well, to be welcomed. But we want to see that done and done quickly. But we would, I think I would be more encouraged if we saw, uh, you know, the, the senior figures in the British government, the, the uh, foreign secretary, the prime minister, engaged with their counterparts in the EU to try and reach an agreement very quickly. I'd like to get your thoughts on the on the wider economic situation in Northern Ireland. The UK's Northern Ireland Secretary says that there is a very big budget black hole uh, in in Northern Ireland's finances, uh, bigger presumably than the one we've got here, which is also pretty problematic. What's your take on the on the state of the government's finances in Northern Ireland? Well, there there is a projected overspend, uh, and I mean, there's a big, a much bigger black hole in the British government's uh, budget uh, going forward and its finances going forward. Uh, but we haven't had an executive in place since February. I, when I was finance minister brought forward a draft budget for agreement in February. Uh, we, we agreed to put that out for consultation. And in the, over the course of that consultation, the DUP pulled down the executive. Uh, and, and therefore, we weren't agree, able to agree to finalise a budget. We weren't able to legislate for a budget. That meant that departments, uh, when we had an opportunity with a three-year budget, which was the first time we had a, a multi-year budget in, in a quite some uh, time, we had an opportunity to plan, even though the resources are never enough to provide the public services we want. We had an opportunity to plan uh, and to secure budgets for departments over the next three years. So they they had that certainty. Uh, What we now have is no budget constraints. We have increasing inflation and increasing energy costs impacting on departments. So even what they presumed they had in the earlier part of the year has now not stretched that far. And that has left a very, very challenging situation because you don't have an executive in place to try and manage Mm -hmm. that. A finance minister on his own doesn't have the authority to manage all of the other departments. That requires an executive. And we've been saying this to the DUP over the course of the year, 
you know, we need to get back in. The, the, the negotiations on the protocol will run their course between the EU and the British government, however that, that yeah. plays out. The, the absence of an executive is having no impact on that, and all it's doing is punishing the people of the north of Ireland uh, that we collectively represent with the DUP and other parties, and we need to get an arrangement back to get the executive working so we can try and manage our budgets in the time ahead, but they've been refusing to do that. Uh, and Hunter. as a consequence, none of us are at the meeting today in Blackpool because yeah. uh, there's no northern representation there because the DUP are been preventing that. Connor, briefly, if, if you would, uh, we're looking ahead to the autumn statement next week as well. How worried are you that spending cuts are going to impact Northern Ireland in a way that perhaps might be more uh, more serious than other parts of the UK? Yeah, we're very, very worried. Uh, I mean, the, the, the signals that have been coming from the, the new Chancellor are about more austerity. We've had 10 years of austerity. We have a health service in the north that's on its knees. Uh, public services are creaking. We're having the same uh, issues with public sector pay that are happening in Britain, uh, 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 threats of industrial action and likelihood of industrial action. So all of that is very worrying. And I think that the Tory uh, government are going to double down on austerity. And I think that is particularly uh, problematic for an area like the north, which is very dependent on public services and dependent on the public sector. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, the rapid jump in mortgage costs is beginning to feed through to the housing market, something else for the government to keep its eye on. The Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors says that prices and buyer demand are now falling in most places. Their index of new buyer sentiment in October dropped to the lowest level since the pandemic lockdowns. We've been speaking to Tarrant Parsons, economist at RICS, about the swift deterioration. Yeah, well, our survey data at this stage is signalling that the housing market it continues to weaken. So we've already seen uh, new buyer inquiries, you know, demand and the number of sales that are being agreed declining for, for a few months now. But in recent weeks, I think this downward momentum really appears to have gained uh, further traction. As you kind of mentioned earlier, a large factor driving this is that jump in mortgage rates that we've seen uh, initially coming after the mini budget. And, and although, you know, the markets have calmed to a certain extent following you know, the U-turns and a lot of those measures. The Prime Minister and Chancellor, of course, still current interest rates are uh, quite a bit higher than what they were three or four months ago. So that's the, the key factor. I think also alongside this, confidence across the economy is quite low now, given issues around the, the cost of living and the, the general economic outlook. And so that's also filtering through into a reduction in housing market activity. OK, so October... It does seem to be a bit of a shock, a bit of a wake up call because you've got um, mortgage rates above 6%, that you know, the highest in well over a decade in Britain and in very short order. There are, though, quite radical variations in what the banks are forecasting now for house prices next year. I mean, you know, the best worst case scenario is very, very wide. Barclays thinks up 10% or 
down 22%. NatWest thinks up 5.5% or down 20%. Lloyd's are similarly huge um, gap, you know, down close to 3% or down close to 18%. What do you think is in store in the next 12 months in terms of UK home prices? I think that point just illustrates how unpredictable it is right now. I think what we can say at this stage is that the survey data that we have on prices has a very good track record for projecting what's likely to happen to all of those main house price indices over the next six months. And so from the latest results, this is telling us that in six months' time, that annual rate of growth in prices is going to be virtually zero. So if you consider that prices are up almost 30% on an annual basis, according to the land registry, I think to get to that annual rate of zero in six months, that would likely involve you know, a series of month-to-month declines uh, going forward. But beyond that, I think uh, the potential magnitude of price declines is really going to depend on that peak level of mortgage rates and uh, the extent to which unemployment rises during you know, what is forecast to be an oncoming recession. Uh, how, how much how much ballast is there in the fact that this is still a market, a housing market that is significantly undersupplied by, by housing? How much support does that give the market going forward? It does provide uh, support to uh, surprises. That's what we've seen. So for a while now, even though we were seeing kind of activity and demand falling across the, uh, the housing market, prices were still con- continuing to, to rise just at a slower pace. Uh, that was really on account of very limited levels of supply. We still have that low level of supply, but the, the sheer extent of the, the drop-off in demand is what's really caused uh, price growth to, to slow, as I said, kind of grind to a halt at the national mm. level. But um, you know, very basically, it's still going to provide some underpinning unless you get a situation in which there are a lot of uh, forced sellers, so people defaulting, you know, worst-case scenario, defaulting on their mortgages, losing their jobs, and they would have to come to the market uh, forced sellers really altering that supply-demand balance. Mm, okay, yeah, so it depends where that, you know, that pendulum is in terms of forced sellers or not. Um, Taryn, just a last thought then. You've also got some good data on rental prices. What is happening for anybody renting? Yeah, well, in contrast to what we see occurring across the uh, sales market, lettings demand actually remains pretty strong. So Now, you will get some spillover from the sales market insofar as if people want to move, but don't think this is the right time to buy or in you know, the current circumstances don't allow them to buy, then they may look to rent for a period of time. So that may be part of the story where lettings uh, demand is still so strong. But either way, plenty of people looking to, to rent right now, not a lot of supply available for them. And that imbalance between strong demand and falling supply is then causing rental prices to increase. And the outlook from that perspective for, for rent is that they're going to continue to be kind of driven up in much the same way as in recent months going forward. That's Tyrant Parsons there, economist at Rick, speaking to Caroline Hepker and Tom McKenzie a little bit earlier uh, there. Let's bring in our UK correspondent, Lizzie Burden, for more on this story. Lizzie, so we, we heard there from Rick's and their survey results, the housing market is in trouble and it seems like it's it's happened quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, this Rick's data backs up what we'd already seen from Halifax and Nationwide in that house prices are falling in the UK. They fell in October, according to those surveys. Rick's saying that house price growth has ground to a halt at the national level. But in the southeast of England and East Anglia, you're seeing this drop. And that's what would you would expect when you've got a decline in new house inquiries, when it's taking longer for people to complete sales, as they're seeing in their data. And 
as your guest uh, suggested, it comes back to what the Bank of England's doing. Uh, you've got the bank responding to the cost of living crisis by raising rates to 3% last week, but also mortgage levels are even higher than that in response to Liz Truss's mini budget. And we had the Governor Andrew Bailey saying after the meeting last week that they don't need to rise in response to this hike, but unfortunately, mortgage rates are staying stubbornly high. Yeah, Lizzie, I thought interesting that the Ricks economist we just heard for says that uh, in six months' time we'll be at zero uh, annual growth because, of course, we've got quite a lot of months of quite strong price growth from early this year to sort of feed its way uh, through the figures. What does this mean for the government? I mean, this is this is tricky stuff for the Tories, isn't it? Uh, uh, high mortgage rates is already a problem for uh, several million people who have mortgages. But for, for, for the wider country, there are lots of Tory voters who don't have mortgages who are really going to sit up and listen when the house price s- starts falling. And that is likely to happen, isn't it, as we go through to next year? Yeah, and of course, it also feeds through to the rental market because, uh, as you hear from Ricks, the landlord instructions are falling, even though demand for rented properties is increasing. And so they're expecting rents to rise at the 12-month horizon. And we had an interesting survey from Bloomberg Intelligence showing that renters in London are in more of a hurry to get out of uh, renting and get onto the property ladder than elsewhere in the country. And that's perhaps understandable, given that they're seeing these double digit rises in their rents. What can the government do to help? Well, if you look back at successive government's policy on housing, it's boosted demand, help to buy, for example, uh, right to buy, uh, right to buy uh, the stamp duty cuts. So stoking this demand. Uh, and actually, there'll be people who will be uh, cheering the prospect of falling house prices, particularly people who are trying to move their way up the housing ladder or first-time buyers but the real worry is for people <laughs> did you hear that sad sound my phone made phone made when <laughs> i said that the real most vulnerable people though are those who've just bought their house and are now in negative equity. Uh, And that's really why the property experts suggest that you should, if you are lucky enough to buy a home, buy one that you can live in at least for the next few years, uh, even if it can't be your forever home. Was that a friend in negative equity perhaps texting you, Lizzie, being worried about what's happened next? Or maybe it was a Tory MP who's worried about what's happening uh, in the the autumn statement next week. Yeah, interesting you mentioned... uh, Rental prices, I think this is a story which hasn't been told that much in the national media, but in London in particular, there's just been a terrible imbalance of people wanting to to rent rooms uh, and supply, and that's really driven up the price. It's been absolutely brutal for anybody uh, looking to rent a place over the last few years, particularly in the uh, the autumn rush, which we've just got through, and prices have really rocketed. Some eye-watering prices uh, uh, for London rents. Uh, but interesting, uh, you also mentioned uh, about, uh, about buying somewhere. It, it, you really need to think carefully don't you if you're a first time buyer as to whether it's going to be somewhere you're going to live in for several years because you don't want to buy it uh, with the hope of selling it in a couple of years time because that is going to be a bad strategy no and there's also some interesting research from the resolution foundation think tank which says that 16 percent of homeowners under 34 are going to be in negative equity by 2023 if house prices drop by 7.9 percent 
as Lloyd's predicts. So really in a difficult situation where perhaps they can't get out of it, out of it. But if you imagine uh, if you've if you've got a new baby and you, you've outgrown your flat, um, you, you don't want to be stuck in the negative equity situation. From a bigger picture economics perspective, the most important thing now is that people hold on to their jobs so that they can keep on paying their mortgages. Uh, but we also had a survey from KPMG and the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, the REC, this morning, which showed that the number of people placed in jobs fell for the first time since February last year. So. We, we've been talking a lot about uh, people not getting real wage rises. They're actually seeing their wages drop in real terms. But you might st start to see people um, feeling, and this is bleak, but at least lucky to have a job. Mm. And it depends on how bad the recession gets. And of course, we don't know how bad it's going to get. The Bank of England's forecast was very gloomy last week, but that was based on the market curve, which the governor said he doesn't see the bank following. He doesn't see rates rising as high as the market expects. So we'll get more clues in the fiscal statement that comes out next Thursday as to how deeply this recession is going to hurt Britons. OK, our UK correspondent Lizzie Burden, thanks so much for joining us with that. And it is, that is the main event we are looking forward to. A very busy week ahead for Lizzie as we get ready for the autumn statement next Thursday. Not only, of course, the announcement of where the tax cuts uh, or the tax rises and the spending cuts might come from, but also that all-important OBR forecast on what is going to happen to the UK economy. And we are, are now just a week away. Yeah, the Bank of England Governor also delivering his uh, forecast on Wednesdays. That'll come just ahead of that key statement on Thursday. So a very, very busy week for politics uh, and for economics. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.